Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Morning to you. The day after D Day. Yeah. June 6th, 1944. The largest amphibious assault ever in the history of the planet. The Allies go ashore in Europe. And, uh,. begin the western part of what will be the the two sides crushing Hitler's Nazi Germany uh, the Russians already hammering the Germans on the eastern front and um, so this is the long awaited offensive in the west um, yeah, so the day after that, and that happened, what, 46 and 21, 56 and 21, yeah, 77 years ago, so, um, yeah, 77 years ago, pretty amazing, uh, And here's a. So you'll hear um, one of my favorite interviews today. It is my custom. Um, and if you've heard it before, I would tell you to listen to it again as a reminder of uh, of what the nation, how the nation got to be, what it is today. And in this day and age of 
when we are enduring the the cancel culture and the assault on all things that are American, you know, again, I mean, if you look at if you look at the creation of all nations, somebody conquered somebody, right? Somebody conquered somebody, and that's how that tended to happen. Yeah, somebody showed up, welcome or not, and said, yeah, we're in charge now. Uh, yeah, so the history of nations I'm in this world of cancel culture is problematic. Um, so, interestingly enough, um, Dwight D. Eisenhower took to the uh, airwaves that day. And so I want to play for you the audio of that morning, of that, uh, of that day of days. And this is it. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen. There you have it. That is, uh, those are the words of uh, Dwight Eisenhower, who would go on to become a Republican president uh, of the United States. And um, so, uh, but again, um, they have days. And if you uh, ever have had the opportunity to watch Band of Brothers, uh, you can see the incredible undertaking that this was. Um, I remember when I watched Band of Brothers for the first time, um, you know, that there's great tension in the air. And uh, as they wait on the tarmac and, and it gets canceled, the invasion gets canceled due to weather. And they kind of sit around for a day. And um, and there's a famous picture of, of Eisenhower going to talk to uh you know, the paratroopers, I don't know if it was the uh, 82nd or the 101st, uh, but 
a famous picture of them with camouflage on on their face and standing around as he went and spoke to them. Um, you read in his memoirs and in interviews that he did, you know, um, you know, he went there with a heavy heart, knowing that you know many of them would not be alive in the, in forty eight hours. And so, um, but um, in watching uh, the way that in Band of Brothers they portray the the flight over the channel, and then all of a sudden they start running into flock, and you see, you know, you see things that uh, in that that are just um, horrific, right? So here are these guys, they've trained since, I mean, some of them since 1942, since they joined the military for this, uh, in England training, and never got out of the airplane as planes were shot down and guys couldn't get out of them. And, uh, and, and you know, things that you really never thought about because you never saw, you never saw that... Um, you never saw that in that kind of detail. And, um, you know, just, uh, and then, you know, and then you all know the chef, if you listen to this program, you know, who comes on on every, every Friday, but Kim's dad was one of the pilots, uh, that flew, uh, C-47s. Yeah. During that night. And you think about, you know, here are these guys, right? They, they put on their uh, their their khaki, you know, uniform, and uh, some wore helmets when they flew. Some did not. Had a forty-five strapped around their waist just in case, I guess. And uh, you know, flying in uh, airplanes that you could open a window in as a pilot, and uh, so that it was uh, still very much man-controlled. Machines were not uh, so much in control. And, uh, and across the English Channel they went. So, uh, so yeah, 77 years ago, yesterday. So it's, uh, pretty amazing, uh, to think about. And then you, then you see, you know, the majestic view of, uh, of the cemeteries. And, uh, if I'm not mistaken, when you look at the stories, only one veteran, uh, of the invasion was able to get back to France because of their age. So, uh... Um, you know, we're getting to the point where there will be no veterans that go back. And, uh, you know, stands in stark contrast in my lifetime to, uh, you know, consistently reading about um, um, veterans that went back. And, um, and you'd see them standing there on the beach. As they uh, as they were honored by uh, the people of France, and now to to think that we're getting to a day and age where you know that they that they've now I guess that's a sign I'm getting old, right? That uh, we've now got to a day and age where you know that hardly any of them can get back, and uh, so it's just uh, I guess a sad recognition that time has passed as we close in on uh, eighty years. Uh, it will be the next big anniversary, and uh, but nonetheless, I, again, uh, if uh, for those people that are so anxious to cancel American history, um, I think uh, we would do well to take a moment and reflect on 
Americans from various generations that when their nation needed them, uh, they served. And then they came back home and they raised families and and uh, they went back to work. And so, uh, uh, again, you've heard me say, if you listen to the program, this country didn't get to be the way it is because nobody gave a shit about it. Um, and that's uh, that's an absolute fact. And so uh, they are emblematic of that uh, of those contributions over time. So uh, so good morning to you. I I had a I had a good weekend. Uh, Colleen had a uh, had a kind of a a COVID prom thing she went to on Saturday night. And uh, so Colleen is our youngest, my ex-wife Susan and mine, youngest daughter. And uh, so she, uh, yeah, she's not a little girl. <laughs> she's not a little girl anymore. So I, uh, she sends a picture. She's in a black dress. She sends a picture after they took pictures before they went to the prom. So she sends me one. And so I, I shared it on Facebook and people that know us and, you know, know Colleen and whatnot are like, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, how about that? And uh, then somebody asked me if it made me sad. And I said, no. I said, you know, the cool. I think one of the coolest things about being a parent is watching the transformation of young people into young adults uh, into husband and wives and solving, you know, life's problems. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's extremely cool. And, uh, and it is extremely cool watching our youngest, uh, do that. So, uh, so did that. And then yesterday, a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend call and say, well, actually about three weeks ago, I had a, I had a relative call me and say, Hey, I've got a friend who's got a friend who's struggling. He's a special operations guy, and I told him about you, and uh, he wants to talk to you. So I said, okay. So I talked to him. I talked to this guy. Gives me a call and says, hey, I've got a friend who's uh, who's really struggling, and I'd like to give him your name. And I said, by all means, without a doubt, and. Uh, and so um had a chance to have a conversation with that guy last night and it was an awesome conversation and um and again what's really amazing about this thing that I do is again I think for 95% of the population it's exactly what they need they need somebody that will tell them the truth they need somebody uh who won't feed them, in my opinion, a bunch of nonsense, show them a path and say, hey, if you do these things, you can walk down this path. If you won't do those these things, then you're going to stay down there. So it's your choice. What do you want to do? You tell me. If you want to go that way, I'll, I'm, I'm here to help. If you want to go that way, good luck. And um, just, I don't know how long we were on the phone, two or three hours. And just no, just a just a great, just a great guy, but really frustrated. Um, again, people want to medicate him. People want to do all these different things, 
and um, and all of a sudden, you know, he and I are talking. I said, "Yeah, your instinct here is absolutely right, but here's what you got to know." And we're talking, and you can hear the excitement in somebody's voice when all of a sudden they're seeing a future uh, and hearing somebody say something. And again, somebody who's telling you, which and that somebody is me, that, hey, this is not bullshit, man. And I come from your tribe, and I'm telling you, if I can do it, if these other people can do it, you can do it too. And then to hear their, his voice and hear how it changes throughout our little discussion. Um, the evening, <laughs> it ended on a high on a high note. The weekend ended on a high note. The, um, uh, the other thing is, yeah, Colleen graduates from high school this week. I think she takes a... Uh, I think she takes a final today and a final tomorrow, and she's done with high school. Yeah, she's done with high school. And um, so um, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. and uh, But uh, it'll be a big week as she graduates from high school. And uh, so uh, she doesn't know this, but uh, her brother's coming out. So excited about that and uh, and, and his fiance. So excited about that to be able to, you know, have most of our family here. And doesn't, as most families do when your kids get older, that doesn't happen very often. And, uh, and then I go up to, uh, I go up to Montana Tuesday. Tomorrow morning, come back Wednesday, and then I fly to um, I fly to I fly back up there on sun, Saturday, and come back on Tuesday, I think Monday or Tuesday, and then I fly to Hawaii on Sunday. So busy couple of weeks for me, but uh, certainly uh, exciting stuff. Yeah, and. Um, So, um, Wall Street Journal just put a headline up. The first drug promising to slow the memory-robbing march of Alzheimer's was approved by the U.S. health regulator. How about that? Pretty amazing. Hopefully. Hopefully. So, uh, good morning to you on this day after the 77th anniversary of our landing in uh, Normandy. This is dedicated to, you're going to hear an interview, or we'll check the news, and then you'll hear uh, one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done, and uh, it's with a guy named Harris Holman, and if you've heard it before, listen to it again. I never get tired of listening to it, Um, and what I never get tired of is um, how emotional he gets. Yeah, I never get tired of listening to how emotional Harris gets and um, the other thing I never get tired of is he there's a line in there where he says um, <laughs> he says and he speaks with a, a fairly heavy I think it's a Norwegian accent and he said you know back then I used to speak the broken English 
Oh my God, it makes me laugh every time I hear it. But you know, he's one. Of, he's uh, Harris, uh, a U.S. Army Ranger, and uh, you'll hear him talk about what it was like to be off the coast that day, and um, to look at the beaches of Normandy and the cliffs of Point Duhok, where the Rangers were going to assault, and. Um, And know that, you know, the whole endeavor rested upon surprise. So you'll hear that interview after we check some news headlines to you. So good morning on uh, on a Monday, uh, what promises to be a busy week. Uh, this is uh, the United States Marine Corps Band making it official. <laughs> This is dedicated to a generation of Americans who, when their nation needed them, um, went off to fight in uh, what Eisenhower called the Great Crusade. And uh, on the, yesterday, 77 years ago, uh, they got up, they went to breakfast aboard ships, and uh, then they got on landing craft. Some of them stayed on those ships, right, and drove them. Uh, but they went ashore and they fought uh, the soldiers of the Third Reich and defeated them. And uh, they created the, uh, really they were the military solution that helped create the rules-based order that we live in today and that the world has, uh, much of the free world has thrived in since World War II. And that is what China seeks to usurp. So if uh, if you need a reminder of uh you know why we why we do what we do these days <clears throat> i think that uh that they are a great one and uh read a little bit and find out what they did and how the world changed post world war 2 and so uh it is to their great sacrifice uh people like my great uncle who uh who left Pearl Harbor on the USS Halligan and was killed in action uh, when a mine uh, blew the forward third of his destroyer apart. They fought in every just about every major action in the Pacific. 
And uh, he, along with 19 of the 21 officers and 150 of the 300 sailors on that ship, uh, were killed, and their bodies never recovered. So it's the uh, to people like that that uh, sacrificed everything they had uh, to give us this world that we live in today. And uh, again, in this day and age of cancel culture, um, be mindful of that. Be mindful of your obligation in your community um, to make this a better place. And so this is dedicated to them. <laughs> betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Check out the current temperatures. It's hot on the East Coast. Yeah. It is uh, sunny and 84 already in Quantico. Yeah. How about that? It is down the coast. It is partly sunny 
and 82 at Camp Lejeune. Tornado and Palms reports partly sunny in 78. Camp Pendleton, clouds in 60. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy and 70. Okinawa, dark cloudy, 78. And Darwin, clear dark in 72. Darwin. There you have it. Currently at the home of Balmering Radio, it is cloudy and 60. Looking for a high today of 66. 71 tomorrow, 73 on Wednesday, 74 on Thursday, 75 on Friday. That is um, that is a look at the weather here. Um, there's been a big story. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, um where you live, but there's a uh, there's a little boy shot. Um, his name was Aiden Leos, and um, the incident was a road rage incident in which his mother. Uh, was driving on the interstate um, not too far from where I live. And um, I don't know. um, I don't know. Change lanes or something stupid. And um, somebody shot at her vehicle. Right, a woman driving is kind of a Volkswagen station wagon thing. Guy in the passenger seat, and uh, and the son says, "Mommy, my stomach hurts." Well, I don't know that my that must have happened two weeks ago, and a reward as much as half a million dollars was raised here in Orange County, and um, and last night. The uh, Orange County Sheriff Department um, arrested two people, um, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, yesterday afternoon. Um, His name is Marcus Anthony Ares, 24 years of age, and her name is Wynn Lee, 23 years of age. They're expected both to be charged with murder. Both are being held in the Orange County Jail in lieu of a million dollars bond each. Um, The California Highway Patrol, the Orange County Sheriff's, did not confirm how they linked the couple to the shooting, but the newspaper account said um, that the... um, that there were informants um, that um, evidently linked this pair to the shooting. And so um, just, I mean, you know, the story is awful. When you hear, you know, a mother recount recount that her son says, Mommy, my stomach hurt because he'd been shot in the stomach. Um, And a little six-year-old boy dies. He's a beautiful little boy. Um, And just... uh, just awful. Um, 
story from yesterday. Normandy commemorates D-Day with small crowds but big hearts. Um, from Normandy. The 77th anniversary of D-Day was marked on Sunday with several events to commemorate the decisive assault that led to the liberation of France and Western Europe from Nazi control and honor those who fell. And it talks about 150,000 Allied troops landed. They were carried there by 7,000 boats. For a second year in a row, the anniversary commemorations were marked by virus travel bans that prevented veterans or families of fallen soldiers from the U.S., Britain, and Canada, and other Allied countries from making the trip to France. Only a few officials were allowed. So hopefully next year, as the world continues to right emerge from COVID, uh, you'll see more families there and and larger ceremonies and again just as a reminder to our kids and grandkids right that uh, freedom isn't free that you know you have to pay for top stories in uh, stars and stripes is uh, impending closure of u.s base in bagram spurs afghan army recruiting to hold the airfield uh so we shall see. We shall see. The other, um, the other, one of the other top stories in Stars and Stripes is the Supreme Court is being asked to decide whether it's sex discrimination for the government to require only men to register for the draft when they turn 18. The question of whether it's unconstitutional to require men but not women to register could be viewed as one with little practical impact. The last time there was a draft was during the Vietnam War, and the military has been all volunteer since. But the registration requirement is one of the few remaining places where federal law treats men and women differently. And women's groups are among those arguing that allowing it to stand is harmful. The justices could say as soon as Monday whether they'll hear the case involving the Military Selective Service Act, which requires men to register for the draft. So an interesting... Uh, interesting, interesting case. Men who do not register can lose eligibility for student loans and civil service jobs, and failing to register is also a felony punishable by a fine of $250,000 in five years in prison. But Tobacco Mar says the male-only requirement does more than that. That's evidently somebody's name. Tobacco? Maybe it's pronounced Tabaco. Quote, that person is quoted, I think it's a woman is quoted here. It's also sending a tremendously harmful message that women are less fit than men to serve their country in this particular way, and conversely, that men are less fit than women to stay home as caregivers in the event of an armed conflict. We think those stereotypes demean both men and women. And this this became an issue as more and more combat jobs were open to women. Hey, look, if women can do anything men can do, then they should be subject to the draft. You can't have it both ways. So interesting. Um, interesting 
interesting Supreme Court case. There's a Sergeant Stripes has an article about a uh, about a poll done in Europe. Many Euro- headline: Many Europeans say U.S. is needed for their security, but question Washington's reliability. I'm looking for. Uh, even though the Biden administration has talked up its support of allies in Europe, questions remain about U.S. reliability on the international stage. Confidence in the U.S. was strikingly low among Germans at 51%, the poll found. Trust was lower only among Turks at 23%. So this is a poll of NATO countries. On average, Canada was viewed as the most reliable partner across all countries surveyed, followed by Sweden and Germany. <laughs> reliable in for what? Like 4,000 people that will come and do support missions? Polish residents rated U.S. reliability the highest at 76%. The United States has stood by Poland. More than two-thirds of Germans, 69%, said the United States should be involved in Europe's security and defense. A 10-point rise from last year, the poll found. French support for U.S. involvement was up 10 points since 2020 at 55%. Interesting. Interesting little poll, right? Europeans say, yeah, as things get less stable, we need the United States. So, interesting stuff. Um, Take a quick look at the Wall Street Journal on our way to Harris-Holman this morning. Email. Mac, you sound busy. I am busy. Yeah, no, this will be fun. Colleen's graduation up to Montana, Colleen's graduation back up to Montana, to Hawaii. Then I think I go back to Montana a couple weeks later. So, yeah. Yeah, top headline in the Wall Street Journal is the uh, headline about uh, the FDA's the FDA approves the first Alzheimer drug for use. So uh, again, I mean, for people that have been impacted by uh, by that disease, whose families have been decimated by it, um, a huge day, a huge day offers them hope. And if you can slow it down, maybe you know. Maybe more funding, more research uh, gets you to the point where you can treat it and uh, and make it a thing of the past. Um, I saw this headline a little bit ago this morning. thought it was kind of interesting. Jeff Bezos will be on Blue Origin's first human flight into space next month. Now, what does that entail? Yeah. My advice to Bezos is be on the second flight, okay? The first flight, you want to let somebody else, like, prove the concept, okay? Just saying, Jeff, got a lot of money. Maybe you said, you know what, I've done about all I could do on the planet. Why not roll the dice a little bit? Why not? Just just so you know, Jeff, you can only punch the ticket so many times before the ticket punches you. So be careful, my friend. Um, 
The, quote, New Shepard spacecraft is scheduled to launch from West Texas on July 20th. Jeff Bezos plans to travel to space next month as one of the first passengers carried by Blue Origin, the Amazon.com Incorporated founder's space travel company. Mr. Bezos said in an Instagram post today that he will be one of the inaugural travelers on Blue Origin's new Shepard Space Aircraft, spacecraft during a flight scheduled to launch from West Texas on July 20th. Mr. Bezos said that his brother, Mark Bezos, will also be part of the crew. Quote, I want to go on this flight because it's a thing I've wanted to do all my life. It's an adventure. It's a big deal for me. Well, I tell you this, Jeff. It's more than event. It's more than an adventure. Make no mistake about it. Uh, he's also stepping down as Amazon's CEO, effective July fifth, and he's led that company for more than two decades. He's invested heavily in Blue Origin, contributing as much as one billion in some years. How about that? So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> good. Hey, good luck. Take your earplugs. Um, the uh, top stories in uh, USNI News, a little bit of a fleet tracker. Uh, let's see. The Iwo Jima ARG is in the, uh, is in the Red Sea. Yeah, it, just a little bit south of the Suez Canal. The Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group is in the North Arabian Sea. USS America Amphibious Ready Group is, uh, let's see, northwest of Okinawa. And the Ronald Reagan Carrier Strike Group is in that vicinity. Uh, interesting story. I saw a couple of naval stories. One is... Um, There's an MQ-25A unmanned aerial tanker uh, refueled a uh, Navy F-18 last week in the first of its kind. So a drone with fuel, right, tanks and F-18. So interesting. A gentleman who I met, who's the Pacific Air Force um, commanding general had, was in the headlines. U.S. working to dampen Chinese missile advantage in the Pacific. That's a bit of an interesting story. And then the other, um, the other story, naval type, is that the Iranians are headed for uh, the Pacific Ocean, chiefly uh, down off the eastern coast of Latin America. Yeah. And so evidently the ship is carrying a missile, uh, those fast boats that they have that carry missiles. So the Iranians bent on bringing their own version of whatever to the Western Hemisphere. So that will be interesting to see um, how the United States Navy deals with that. The Iranian Navy in the news all over the place last week for the sinking of their largest ship, a supply ship that caught on fire. 
Um, but this story about Chinese missiles, this is a dateline is Kuala Lumpur. U.S. Pacific Air Forces is crafting a dual strategy of defensive capabilities and dispersal of forces in order to negate the threat posed to its forces and bases by China. China's military capability has been increasing over the last several years, said General Kenneth Wilsbach this past Friday. Quote, one of those areas is in ballistic missiles and their capability to reach out beyond the first island chain and really threaten not just us in the second island chain or perhaps even beyond that, even to the continental United States and others of our allies and partners. So we're watching that through our intelligence collection, and we've also been working on ways to defend ourselves. Wilsbach said it's not that it was not only China that has improved its missile capabilities, but also Russia and North Korea. A defensive capability able to target inbound missiles would be one of the ways of dealing with such threats. He stated that already both the THAAD and Patriot missile systems are deployed at Guam along with other key areas and Guam would have further capabilities and the installation of the Aegis, Aegis shore system. Wilsbach added the defensive capabilities against missiles were not just at Guam. We have those in multiple places around the region, as do a number of our allies and partners also have that capability. And we're continuously improving those systems to account for advancements in the threat that we perceive. The other part is, together with missile defense, Pacific Air Force has been employing over the past few years the strategy of agile combat employment. The tenets of ACE, agile combat employment, explained Wilsbach, is that in lieu of forces being built upon large bases, is to instead disperse those forces to many hubs and spokes so that they would be moving about between the hubs and spokes multiple times a day, multiple times per week, giving them agility and mobility. So, being hard to kill, as we would say in the Marine Corps. So, your Pacific Air Force, yeah, where I'm headed um, here in a couple weeks. A story that's been in the news, sadly, for the last couple years. Uh, is back in the news, the murder trial of a Marine Raider in the death of a U.S. Army Green Beret Staff Sergeant uh, uh, begins today. Gunnery Sergeant Mario Madera Rodriguez begins what is scheduled to be a three-week trial at Norfolk Naval Air State or Norfolk Naval Station in Virginia over the murder of Staff Sergeant Logan Melgar. Um, again, this is just, uh, you you. You see this, and it's just stupid. Absolutely, positively stupid. Um, three co-defendants in the case pled guilty over the past two years. The first was Navy SEALed Chief Special Warfare Officer Adam Matthews, followed by Marine Raider Staff Sergeant Kevin Maxwell, and in January, Navy SEAL Tony Dedolf. Dadal pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter and received 10 years in prison, a reduction to E1, a forfeiture in pay, and a dishonorable discharge. Maxwell pled guilty to 
to negligent homicide conspiracy, to commit assault, hazing, obstruction of justice, making false official statements. He was sentenced to four years confinement, reduction in rank to E1, and a bad conduct discharge. Matthews pled guilty to conspiracy and related charges. He was sentenced to one year of confinement, a reduction to petty officer second class, and a bad conduct discharge. So, again, uh, a story that is just uh, painful to read in its stupidity. Um, and, again, another another terrible story for the special operations community. But, just so you know, they don't have a culture problem. Um, top stories today in Early Bird, before we hear Harris Holman. Uh, number one, Congress draws battle lines for the Pentagon budget fight. That is in the news as President Biden um, published his um, budget, at least for the DOD. Number two, U.S. finds no ed- evidence of alien technology. Uh, let me just tell you, there you can't go anywhere without seeing alien stories. Okay. So the world loves. The world loves alien stories. I'm, yeah, no joke. Straight up loves them. So, yeah, you can't go anywhere without watching them, without hearing them, without seeing them. Number three, now boarding. Space Force wants to turn launch ranges into rocket airports. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the Space Force. Number four, new Army Secretary sends her first message to the force. And uh, uh, President Biden, who will meet, at least scheduled to meet, Vladimir Putin. I'm not sure why. Normally you don't have those kind of meetings for a grip and rip type of event, but uh, this seems to be one of those. Yeah. So I'm not sure what good is is going to come out of that. That is in the news. I just I was looking at the Navy Times and the Army Times just to see if there was something that because uh, it didn't look like the uh, the story was updated uh, in terms of the, uh, the top five stories. The um, and it wasn't, by the way. So that is a look at the news. Now, for those of you that have never heard this, you're in for a treat. Um, Harris Holman, um, I ran across him, I want to say in 2001 and, um, this interview has become one of my favorites. I was, uh, looking for somebody, uh, when I was doing my podcast over the air, um, one of the things I learned to do was to go look for people that had been um, at different events in my community. And so um, uh, 
I go in the air that morning, and it's um, June 6th. I believe it was 2001. And um, <laughs> and so I um, I go in the air and I say, "Hey, I'm looking for somebody who was at um, who was a D Day." And, um, and people start, everybody, every name I'd gotten up to that point had, um, had, um, been gone. They were gone for, uh, to the lake for, you know, vacation. They didn't return calls. They didn't want to do it. And so I, I finally go on there and, a last desperate plea to find somebody. And I, I wound up having a woman call and say, I think my father would talk to you. And so she gives me his name and his name is Harris Holman. And he was in a, uh, he was in a nursing home in North Dakota. And so, um, so I, uh, call the nursing home. I speak to Harris and I, um, I make sure that he's able to do it because I certainly didn't want to embarrass him. And then um, I said, okay, Harris, I need your rank and I need to know what unit you were with so I can introduce you right. And he says, oh, sure. He said, I, I finished as a staff sergeant. And he said, um, I uh, was with the 75th Ranger Regiment. And I said, okay. I said, I'll call you right back. And now the the commercials are running around. I hang up from my office that I made the phone call in. And I ran back down the hallway. And I'm thinking, the Rangers, man, they went up Point Duhok. I wonder if he did that. So um, the interview you're going to hear is me completely impromptu, <clears throat> is me geeking out over the opportunity to speak to a piece of American history. And so... Um, for an interview that needs no further introduction, uh, Harris Holman was a piece of American history. Um, he went and fought. He came home and went back to work in a creamery in uh, North Dakota and lived his life out and raised a family. And so uh, um, it's with great pride uh, that I give you an interview that's, I believe, in uh, the North Dakota State Museum of History right now. Um, I allowed them to use it. So this is Harris Holman. On this 57th anniversary, a day when uh, President Bush is dedicating a national memorial to um, those who uh, fell on this day 57 years ago in Virginia, I uh, this morning got up and started looking for uh, somebody locally who we could talk to who was uh, there uh, at Normandy on, uh, on that day. And, uh, and lo and behold, I, I couldn't find anybody. And uh, so I made an appeal on the air, and, and somebody was nice enough to call and give us the name of Harris Holman. And uh, he lives, currently lives in, in Hatton, North Dakota. And Harris has been kind enough to join us. Uh, Harris, welcome to, to Mac Talk today. Hello. Hi, how are you? Fine. 
Now, Harris, let me just, uh, so everybody understands, you were uh, with the 2nd Ranger Battalion. Yes, I was. 57 years ago. Yep. And And your rank was that of what? I was a staff sergeant. Okay, so uh, you knew what was going on. Oh, yes. Well, I, I, I was in charge of 14 men. Okay, tell us about uh, tell us about the preparation for uh, going across the the channel, and how how long were you in England? Uh, I think I was there for about a year first. Getting ready. Yeah, getting ready to go, and we went across in uh, landing barges there, you know, right. short distance. So it's we a week. I come a week. I, we landed. I had fourteen men with me. Uh, you know, there was a couple of reporters and photographers were along with us. Really, but I, I was only. Uh, I had twelve. I was in charge of twelve uh, soldiers. Okay, and how old were you? Oh, about twenty-two years old. So you were a young guy. Yeah, I was a young, a young uh, spring chicken. Okay, <laughs> and how how old were most of the rangers that that you were in in charge of? Oh, they were younger than me. Some were, and some were about my age. Okay, so probably most of them in nineteen twenty. Yes, that, I would say that. The, uh, and what was your mission that day? Uh, to uh, uh, take Omaha, uh, Normandy, and Omaha Beach. Okay. And then, what particular, what specifically was your was your Ranger uh, battalion supposed to do that day? We were supposed to. There was a big uh, on the hill up there. Right. Uh, a big hill. There, uh, the uh, Nazis had uh, 16 and 18 inch guns, and we were supposed to get, get up there. Which we did. We surprised them completely because they didn't think we could ever get up those range. But we shot up gravel, those hooks, you know, gravel hooks, what we call. Yeah, we grappling called the ropes. Right. And we got up there. And we stopped them from uh, keeping on shooting at the ships out there, those big guns they had up there. Right. We so, had a, quite a big battle up there. Yeah, as you got to... Uh what was it like to as you went up those cliffs? I mean, you, you went up one at a time on those ropes, and, yes, and, and we did. there was a whole bunch of ropes. I know they, they they got fired up there, so you're trying to get guys up there. But initially, when you get up there, there's not a whole lot of guys on your on your side up there. What was that like as as you guys got up there? Well, it was uh, kind of rough terrain, I would say. It was uh, rough, and then of course uh, uh, the Nazis they were embedded there right. with their big uh, uh, guns, you know. And uh, so we had to knock them out, and we sneaked up on them. They didn't think I would, we'd ever make it up the, uh, the cliffs there. Yeah, once you got up there, I mean, it's tough to go up the, those cliffs with, uh, you know, with any weight on you. You know, how did you how did you knock we, the guns we out? The, we, we carried our just uh, our combat packs, like uh, the, with a mess kit and then a water kit in there, and I, I put I had two pairs of stockings to keep my feet dry. And uh, handkerchiefs, you know. Right. And uh, and I think I had a pair of underwear too. There you go. Yeah. Well, most people don't realize how important socks are to guys who walk all day. Yeah. Pretty yeah, important that, stuff. Pardon? Pretty in, socks are pretty important when you make your living walking around yes, all day. Yeah. Yeah. I used to carry two pair of socks that kept my feet dry. You know. Now, that so, was the most important thing. Right. So let me ask you, once you got up on top, how did you knock those those big 16-inch guns out? Because, you you know, you couldn't, you, did you have bazookas? How did you, did you just go in with the hand grenades and we rifles had, and knock them out? We went in with hand grenades and uh, rifles. That's where we took them. We took them by surprise. They figured we'd never get up there. But we took them completely by surprise. When, when your uh, battalion commander or your company commander came to you and, and they said, uh, okay, here's your mission. We're going to put you guys ashore. 
You guys are going to go up these cliffs on, on ropes, and then you're going to knock out these 16-inch guns. 16 and 18. 16 and 18-inch guns that, that are in, you know, in uh, in bunkers yeah. with hand grenades and rifles. What did you guys look around and say? Oh, we, we looked at each other, and, and we, we, uh, we knew we could do it, so we did it. We knew we could do it. We could handle it. How did, why did you know you could do it? Well, <laughs> through our training, that we could, we knew we could do it if we once got up there. Now, as a as a former Marine, I'm going to ask you this: Did you guys think, as a Ranger, did you think your training made you the toughest and the best guys out there? Yes, I, I, I think so. We were a pretty rough outfit. I got to say that now, we didn't stop for anything. On on that day, how you started with uh, with with twelve rangers and then uh, a couple reporters. What did you finish the day with? How many how many guys did you lose on that day? We lost. Uh, oh gosh, uh, I think we lost eight. There was four or five of us left. That was all out of the whole uh, comp- uh, comp- uh, out of the whole squad. Yeah, the whole squad. Yeah. So you start. You went up the hill with. You went up the the cliffs with. Now you, we shot up those hooks, you know, right. with ropes on them. We we went up that. We took them by surprise. They figured we'd never get up there, but we did. Now, did you lose? Do you, do you remember? Do you lose? Did you lose most of the guys down on the beach, or did you lose most of the guys up above? Because I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, easy places on that beach that day, was there? No, there wasn't. Uh, we lost a boat. I'd say. Part of them uh, on the beach, and we lost, uh, and then up on the hill there. Now, when you were when you were in the in in the barge going ashore, and you saw what the beaches looked like, what were your thoughts as you, on that day? I mean, there's there's famous famous pictures of just it being overcast and dreary, and and the seas being being a little bit uh, big that day. What were your thoughts as you were in the barge looking at at Normandy that day? Uh, I was wondering if I'd ever lived through it. That was the main thing, if I get wounded or killed. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. It was just unbelievable. Nobody knows what it is. Now, now Harris, let me ask you. you. You guys got off the beach that day. Yes. You did away with those guns. Did Now, were you wounded at all during the... Or did you stay with your battalion for the rest of the campaign into Germany? And then... Uh, Later on there, we went in the, to St. Lowe and, and down to Alsace-Lorraine, mm-hmm. and then I got hit uh, two more times. I was hit three times, and that's a terrible. St. Lowe, we had a terrible battle. No, that's, that was a huge one, right? Wasn't there a pocket of Germans that you, you yeah, guys we had? Yeah, had... that was the trouble. See, right. we had, they were in, uh, in, uh, in those, their, uh, oh, just like eggshells. Right. Uh, you know, the bunkers there. I mean, they, they cemented, and they had their big guns in there and stuff, so we had to sneak up there and throw grenades in there and, 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 and get them that way. Now, after the third time that you were wounded, did you come home, or did you go back to your unit? How did you finish the war? I, I stayed there till the war was over. I, I was there, but I wasn't in the, After I was wounded the third time, they kept me from the front lines, and I was in the hospital there in the... In, uh, in, in in France, and then they sent me to England. And I was there till the war was over. Have you ever been back to? Have you been ever been back to Normandy since uh, no, the end I, of the war? They, uh, some of the guys wanted me wet here about fifty years. Or I mean, the, for the fiftieth anniversary. Right. But I, I said my blood laced there. I can't go back. 
Right. Now, have, did you watch the today? The president dedicated a uh, a uh, memorial to uh, the veterans of D-Day on uh, in Bedford, Virginia. Did you watch any of that on television? No, I haven't. I haven't, I haven't didn't know about it for one thing. Well, it'll be on the news tonight. You should watch it because uh, there's a lot of veterans there in Bedford, Virginia. They lost. There's a, the town only had 3,200 people, and in the first 15 minutes, I want to say. I think the story I read said they lost uh, either 15 or 19 young men from that. Uh, they, they think we died in the first 15 minutes, but it was the city that, that lost the most as per capita of any city in the United States because of that, the invasion. Yeah. Uh-huh. When you when you first looked over the boat uh, as you were going in and you saw all the uh, all the boats that that the United States and, and the Allies put out there, uh, was there any was there any doubt in your mind that that that, uh, that the United States would get this done on that day. I figured we'd win some way, but I didn't think that I would make it. I, I thought I'd be killed. Really, and, and is that the thing that, that that on just on a daily basis that that most people can't understand is just you see your friends get killed, and 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 then you see the replacements get killed, and then you see the replacements replacements get killed, and you just don't think that you're gonna. Most people can't even fathom living like that. No. Uh, no, that's true. That's, that's just like it, you know. Yeah, no, I how, how like I was told people how I lived through it. I don't know. I can't tell you that. I don't really know. Where did you grow up? Are you originally from Hatton? Yes, I am. I, I grew up at uh, well. I was a small boy then, you know. Right. When my dad, we used to farm about uh, thirteen miles west of Hatton, but then my dad died, and then my mother. Uh, moved to town, and and uh, me and my brother Rudy, he's two years older than I am. He was in the war too. He was with the tank out the Tatton's Third Army, with the 501st Tank Battalion. So was he at Normandy that day as well? Yeah, we met. Uh, we met on uh, on D Day, and we, we met in Normandy, both of us. Really? He, so you he, saw him? You saw him on 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 D Day? Yeah, yeah. Right after the. Uh, I think it was right a few days afterwards, about okay. the third or fourth day, and the patent came with tanks, and who do you suppose was in one of them? <laughs> yeah. the third, I think it was the third or fourth tank, I'm not sure. Here, Rudy come out, my brother. We, and then we visited the whole day, but then we had to go back to the fighting. So he went with the tanks. He was in the 501st Tank Battalion, and I had to go back with my uh, range of outfit. Now, did you give him a bunch of uh, did you give him a bunch of crap? Tell him that real men walk; they don't ride around in tanks, and to get out of that tank and do some work. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I kidded him about that. <laughs> well, I that, kidded him about. I mean, that. that's unbelievable history that you're talking about. And then after the war, you you got out and you and you did you come back to Hatton and start working again? Yes, I did. I said I started working, and then pretty soon I worked in the creamery. Uh, Co-op creamery for 29 years. I was in the creamery business there, and uh, that and I. That lasted four years. I became manager because the manager died, and then I was manager for four years before uh, people began to quit milking cows. So we didn't get any cream, and so we had to close up. The, when people ask you about D-Day, what is is there anything you tell them that that geez, when you think about D-Day, if you can remember one thing, this is what as somebody who was there, this is what I'd like you to remember. Do you do you have any thoughts for people like that? You mean, uh, uh, oh yeah, I, I I I don't like to talk about it, you know, because it hurts me terrible. Sure. 
So I, I don't say anything. I, I never have been able to say much. They wanted me to come to, uh, to the University of North Dakota and tell about it and bring my, uh, you know, I got my field pack and, and that and show them the bullet holes that went right through my, where I kept my mess kit and stuff. But I wasn't able to, I was, I said I would, but then I, I when I was going to do it, I, I, I broke down. I wasn't able to. Right. And, and you, do you still have all your, your old stuff? Yes, I do. And I got all my medals that I was awarded. I got them in a, a regular case that there because they sent me some now and then that I qualified to get. Sure. And Patton told me three times, or was it four? I think it was four times that I'd be getting the Medal of Honor, but I never got it. I was entitled to the Medal of Honor, he said. And I never got it. Well, I will tell you this. Just that man saying it is a tremendous tribute in and of itself. Yeah, now, he told me four times that I was entitled to the Medal of Honor. What was he like to be around? Oh, he was. Uh, he liked to talk to me because, you see, at that time, I talked uh, broken English, you know. I talked, oh. Because I was, Nor- some Nor- and I was a Norwegian, you know. Right. And I, uh, that, I, I talked, when I grew up with my folks and that, you know, we talked Norwegian. I went to Norwegian Sunday school and all that, you know. So I, I talked so much broken English that was terrible. And Pat used to get a big bang out of that. He always told the guys, first that Norwegian soldier of mine, he used to ask the officers and that, you know. They used to tell him where I was. A tough he used to come over and talk to me, and he'd laugh to beat everything. A tough man, though. Pardon? A tough man, though. What? A, a, a tough man? He, he was a tough guy. Yes, he was. He was a tough uh, general, but he knew what I liked about him. He knew the terrain. He knew what he was doing. And uh, that's why we we all uh, relied on him very much because we knew that he knew what to do and where to go and stuff like that. So we talked a lot of him. He he was tough, but he knew knew the terrain. He studied that stuff, you know, so he knew what. But where to go and what to do and the towns we should take and we take one town after the other and and uh, stuff like that you know and he he uh, come and see us you know whenever he come and inspected he was in a used to come in a sort of a half track or a jeep that's what he used to come with and he had his pearl <laughs> had those uh, six shooters on each side of his uh, uh, his belt right. had two of them. Pearl handles on. And then, of course, he had this, uh, sometimes had his helmet on, you know, with his uh, stars. And he was advanced to, uh, I think it was three stars. And then it went, towards last, he was the four-star general. Right. Mm-hmm. I had the honor of, uh, when I was, uh, I, w- I went through the Army's uh, Advanced Armor School in Fort Knox, and they have a museum there. The Armor Center has a huge museum. Uh-huh. It's unbelievable. And they had... Uh, a uh, one of his old uh, staff cars, and and uh, it still had the wood on the steps because his the, his dog used to catch his uh, his, uh, his I don't know fingernails in in the in the grate. So he put he had him put wood over it, and then they had his son lent his uh, 
pearl handle revolvers yes, she had to, to the museum and yeah. and they were there but you know it just a day like today just reminds us of the great contribution of of not only i mean generals tend to get the credit but i have to tell you this harris it's guys like you that that tell an unbelievable story about going ashore in a boat like that and and scaling that those cliffs uh, i mean we see pictures of it and it's to be honest with you it's an absolute honor to meet somebody who was actually there yeah yeah and, uh, and I'll tell you I, like I said, how I lived through it, I don't know. Right. I just don't know. And, and not I, that bad. And I will tell you, you don't mind if someday I come down and introduce myself to you? No, oh, no. I, my doors are wide open for anybody. And you can see my pictures I got on the wall. And you can see my duffel bag and my, and my uh, combat packs. And I got all that stuff. I would love to do that here. Yeah. Well, it was an honor to speak to you today, and uh, and just on behalf of, uh, I think, everybody, all the citizens of Grand Forks, thank you for everything you did, and it's an honor to speak to you. Yes. All right. Have a nice day. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. How about there you that? have it. That's How about that? Right? Uh, a piece of American history right there that I stumbled into one morning. And, uh, you know, I wish I, I would... I could do that interview again. It would be much different. It'd be much better. Um, I hadn't been doing this for, I think, even a year at that point. And uh, and so I lament uh, all the different things I could have asked him. But honestly, my head was spinning as he and I were, t- were talking. And uh, But um, a piece of American history, Harris Holman. How about when he, when I ask him about, uh, when he talked about seeing his brother Rudy on the beach and the way he laughed, I love that. And then, um, and then, <laughs> then when he, he talks about, um, he talks about Patton and, uh, how he was supposed to get the Medal of Honor and, you know, back then, you know, um, I used to, uh, you know, speak the broken English, right? It's just really, really funny. Uh, but again, it's it's voices like that that went off, and a lot of them never came home. And uh, and I don't know that the nation, much of the nation, remembers that. And it's a danger of not really understanding, you know, our history. And I think it's not good for the country. So, a little dose of it today. That'll do it on a. Um, that'll do it on a Monday, uh, the day after the seventy seventh anniversary of our landing in Normandy, and so we'll remember that. We remember that. So uh, have a great day. Uh, my name is Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. If you're um, if you're in a position to help somebody that's been through traumatic stuff, uh, do that. And if you need some help, don't be afraid to stick your hand out and say, "Hey Mac, can you help me?" And I would be more than happy to. So on that note, I'm out. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. On the way to Montana. <laughs>